Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 40 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today we're going to be discussing Incident 2 and nursing visits. So I will pass it over to Mark to introduce the topic and uh, Ray and I'll add in our thoughts as we go along. All right. That sounds good, Scott. And yeah, I mean, incident two comes up periodically, I think, in questions and discussions with various groups. Um, And we've kind of gotten to the point now, I think, where everybody divides things in the incident two category into into two separate categories, if you will. You know, the the general philosophy behind incident two billing is that for most practices, um, and you know, the this is different for those for those folks that are employed by a hospital, uh, that incident two billing in the is is for the office setting, first of all. Uh, and for those practices that employ their personnel, the services that your staff provide, so they have to be employees or contracted staff, uh, they are billed under the physician because they don't have NPI numbers. Uh, so Medicare came up with the incident two policy to basically say as long as there is a provider uh, with an NPI number, so that can be a physician or uh, an APP, so we'll lump them together as QHPs. So if you have a a QHP, a qualified health care provider in the office, when those services are provided and those services have been ordered by the physician for the care of the patient, then those individuals providing things like catheterizations and shots and the end, various uh, urodynamics, PVRs, don't have to be done by the physician's hands. They can be done by those who have been trained by the physician. They're protected uh, under the physician's medical malpractice license. So they really are functioning as a, a new set of hands or an additional set of hands for the physicians, which is why they came up with the phrase incident two. So essentially it's incident to the physician. Uh, they really are an extension of that physician. So that's that was kind of the genesis of the whole incident two process. And so when when we lump incident two services into two categories, we have to look at those uh, staff or individuals that are not NPI carrying individuals, they're not QHPs. Um, but when we started seeing more and more uh, mid-levels, AP, uh, PAs and NPs in the practice, Medicare had to adapt to the fact that those folks, those mid-levels, are still under the guidance of physicians, but can also practice uh, medicine to a degree uh, on their own and can make the medical decisions prescribe and and make choices on their own in treating the patient. So they've made some modifications for those uh, mid-levels, uh, the APPs, 
uh, as they've moved forward. And they did not, when they did this, they did not take away the ability to still report the services of the APP under the Incident 2 guidelines. And, but they did add some parameters for those folks. Um, so they kind of crosswalked all of the information over or the requirements for the other individuals in your practice, the, the non-QHPs, if you will, uh, in your practice, over to the QHPs or the mid-levels, the APPs in your office. So what they said is that as long as the individual, the APP, is functioning like a uh, a non-QHP, so they are under the direction, the direct direction, following the orders of the physician uh, in the plan of care, uh, then uh, you can essentially count those services incident two. But the minute that APP steps outside of the physician, uh, the physician's orders and really starts using their own license to treat the patient, it now has to switch from billing incident two to billing as that individual provider. And that's why uh, you can bill uh, an APP incident to a physician on an E&M code uh, if, in fact, the physician uh, has, has given an order for the patient and has given direction on how that care should be given in that particular uh, date of service. And, and they don't deviate from that. So that allows the E&M service to be billed under the APP. Um, now, and, and of course, if the if the APP does step outside, they're starting to make decisions because there's a new problem or a new complaint or it's a new physician or it's a new patient. Uh, that can't be incident to a physician. That, that practitioner is now practicing at their license level and making decisions and, and, and treating the patient. And so that's kind of that rough division across the board. Um, and they did not extend, though, when they started extending this, the APPs, they did not extend that level of service um, to the nursing staff or those people who are not APPs on the E&M codes for all levels, which is why we still have the nursing visit in place, the 99211. Um, and that is, you know, reserved for those E&M encounters uh, that are provided by your non-APPs, typically your nurses. Um, they have to be legally able to function without uh, direct uh, supervision or direct interaction between the physician and the patient. So they can't practice above their license. Um, but if they're if they're providing, you know, low-level services that fit within their license, and I, I probably shouldn't have said low-level, but li- lower complexity of services that don't require the physician to uh, be in the room to provide those uh, that advice or those treatment options to the patient, then uh, the non-QHPs uh, can bill the 99211. Uh, now, the 99211 is still subject to all the bundling rules and guidelines. Uh, and And ultimately, when we look at most practices, a lot of patients are coming in for nursing visits, um, maybe coming in 
really for specific services like a testosterone shot or an LHRH shot or to drop a UA um, or to get a catheter changed or a uh, maybe even a, a superpubic tube change. And a lot of offices have clinics for that that are run by the nurses. And for those visits, it is rare that the nurse actually provides uh, something significant and se separately identifiable to the patient. So the 99211 um, is um, not billed as often for those encounters because they're really specific service encounters. Um, but the modifier 25 can be used with a 99211. And uh, if the nurse or nursing staff um, actually gives the patient uh, some uh, evaluation and management service that fits that definition of modifier 25, it can be billed on the same date, um, but it really does need to support that and be significant and separately identifiable. And then, of course, there are those times when the patient comes in and um, maybe they are just dropping off a urine um, and the patient then talks to the nursing staff about what's going on um, and with the and then the the nurse is able to go and chat with the physician or an APP and then uh, make sure that the patient has a prescription called in so that now you're talking about a treatment setting for a 99211. So there there are circumstances where that nursing visit stands alone or stands with a uh, a, a non-global service, uh, but um, those are not as frequent um, and and certainly things that you should be careful of in your documentation. All right, I have a couple questions. Um, okay, so so a nurse, so a non, let's just call it a non-QHP. What are, so the only code a non-QHP can bill for is the, the 99201 or are there other procedures that they can be billed as incident to? So the, the non-QHP can bill the 99211. That's the I mean, only one, A&M code, yeah, that they can, that they can bill. But uh, they can absolutely bill a 51702 or a 51798. Um, and that could be in conjunction with a physician visit, right? So... Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it, they actually don't bill it, they provide it. So I think would be the better way to say it, that it, the physician still bills it. The physician in the office okay. would be the billing uh, provider of record. Or if the physician's not in the office and, a, and an APP is your QHP for the day, then it would get billed under them. Okay. Um, but they may not have had contact with the patient or they may not have had that service provided by the physician. They're again. They're acting as a new, another set of hands for the billing provider. And what are those reimbursements levels? So the if it's billed under, it's all about the NPI. It's not about who did it. It's all about who billed it. Okay. So, so if it's billed at, with the physician's NPI, it's paid as if at the physician level. If it's billed under an APP NPI then it's billed at the APP level, which is 85% of the physician for Medicare. So you should always try and bill under the physician if, you know, obviously the, the under the physician's MPI, if, you know, both the physician and the APP are providing the care, 
obviously is, you know, that's the higher reimbursement. But if the APP is the one that stepped under out from underneath the physicians and, and is doing their own care, then the non-QHP provides the service, then it has to be built under the APP's NPI number if it's the under the direction of the APP. Well, as always, they should bill accurately, right? I mean, that's really what they need to do is bill accurately. And, and setting up your clinic to bill accurately um, for that ex- extra 15% um, for those services is, you know, is, is really where the design comes into play. And it really depends on your office and your setup and what the patient needs are. Um, and that's, that's really what it boils down to is, and you shouldn't go chasing pennies at the expense of dollars. So you don't want to not have clinic during the day just to get an extra 15% because the docs in the surgery center, you're actually generating two revenues. So, so stating it fully, like make sure everything gets built under the dock. That's, that's, that's a business mistake. Um, you really want everybody practicing at the top of their license and you want your patient flow to be maximized. The bottom line, if the physician is in the office and a nurse provides a service, can you think of any situations that you would not bill under the physician's NPI and would bill under an APP, even though they may be both in the office? So I, 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 you could think of a couple where, um, let's say that you've got an APP that's really functioning um, with their own clinic. Maybe they're the incontinence clinic um, or the erectile dysfunction clinic. And that APP um, was the one who uh, gave the orders for the testosterone slot. Then they developed the plan of care. And the APP is really the provider of record for that particular patient's problem. Um, and there are some larger offices that have that set up so that that patient is in today to see the APP um, there for their ED follow-up. They get a testosterone injection by the nurse. So really that nurse is part of that APP's clinic. The, the, the plan in, the, in some of those circumstances were, was originally developed by the APP. Then technically that service, because that's all functioning as part of that pod and that care, should get billed under the APP, even if there's a doc down the hall. All right, uh, Ray, question for you. So if you, you know, you're looking at your perfect practice, how would you set it up with the incident too? How many, I mean, how would you really put this together in in a functioning practice? What's the optimal setting for this? All right, so you're you're asking me a question. I have an APP and I have several nurses that and we run a busy practice. Well, I want to start by taking a look at each licensed individual. I want everybody to practice at the top of their license. And then I have to take a look at the rules. So uh, if an NPP sees a new patient and I'm not involved, they have to do that. They have to build that under their name. 
But for everybody else that I see first and set up a, a, a plan of treatment, then I'm going to build the APP under my NPA number. And anything that the nurses do that is under that umbrella, I will bill as my uh, NPI number. And I will delegate to the nurses everything that they can do under their license that is still good patient care. And I will have my uh, physician assistant PA see all the, the patients that they can. And probably in my practice, I'd set it up where the new patients, I do pop in and see the new patient. And so it's still billed incident too. So keep your license in name and delegate everything that you can. So, Mark, have you seen a practice that functions like that, close to that? Yeah, there's a number of them that function a lot like that. And and um and again, there's, it's it's, I, I would go back to office flow and chasing pennies, right? So, if if my physician has enough time to see the new patients, great. Um, but at the same time, if my physician has a pack schedule and they're doing it's Cisto day or um, they're doing a bunch of other stuff, then yeah. There's no reason to interrupt that that flow to pop over and see a new patient. When I mean that you're generating two revenues, trying to stop one revenue stream to grab another fifteen cents on the dollar is not the right way to go. All right. So anything it just any, depends. Any other discussion to add to this? So I, I think the only other thing I wanted to add in, in all of this is, is you know, the the nursing visicode. I, I mean, hopefully everybody's pretty clear. We've talked about incident two a lot, and a lot of people have set up different protocols and procedures to make sure that they can follow the incident two guidelines for everyone that they do. And you do want to to uh, periodically check back on your policies, procedures, and make sure that your team is functioning under those, um, so that you you're you're not just assuming that you're a well-oiled machine, but you're checking on the, that you're a well-oiled machine. And then the second thing that I, I do want to put into everybody's thought process, you know, the 99211 is available, and it should be used when appropriate. Um, but it is a code that is constantly under target. You'll definitely see a lot of medical record requests um, for that 99211. So making sure that your, your staff understands when, uh, that service can be billed, understanding what's global and what's not, um, the definition of the modifier 25 and the documentation required for that nursing visit is absolutely essential. Um, so, um, I would, even though it doesn't happen very much and it's uh, as much anymore, and, it, and even though it is a uh, low dollar item, uh, I would include the review of 99211s in my compliance plan and include my mid-level staff on making sure that they're uh, well-educated on all of the services they provide. And then the last thing I'll add on the incident two side is 
you've from an execution standpoint, one of the things that we see a lot of because life is busy in the average urology office is missed services and charges. Um, you know, the physician is usually the one in charge of pushing the charges through in the office through the EHR um, or checking off the super bill. Um, that if you're still using paper and double checks, uh, make sure you're coordinated with your team of nursing staff and support so that they charge for everything that was medically necessary, the UAs, the PBRs, the catheter changes, all of those things, and that you're doing a good job of tracking the services and the inventory used by the staff. Mark, any comments on uh, incident two eligibility for the charge, uh, the oversight that is required of Medicare versus private? So, um, for the most part, incident two for non-APPs is common across all payers. Um, I haven't seen a lot of variation at all in that particular concept. So, you know, just making sure that all the services you provide are medically appropriate and included in the record by whoever does them is is sufficient. Um, making sure that the nursing staff, if they're going to bill a 99211, have it supported um, if it's standalone and supported with the modifier 25 requirements for those. The APP side of the equation is is where we see some variation. So your 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 APPs um, often have some uh, uh, requirements in the private sector that make like life different for them and what they can and can't bill incident two. And we're starting to see some groups like Anthem uh, and and groups trying to make sure that uh, APPs can't bill incident two. Uh, so you're going to need to watch your contracts. And then there's some payers that won't allow, won't even uh, allow a, an APP to sign a contract and require everything to be billed under the physician. So you you, you want to make sure you understand the private sector rules on the mid-level side on the APP and the differentiation there. But as far as your, your general staff and in incident two, those requirements really don't vary between Medicare and privates. All right. Now, for Medicare, we know that the QHP that bills has to be in the office. Is that uh, a requirement now by all the private payers? So that 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 is one of those that there is some variation. So um, you're right to bring that up. I had forgotten about that, that uh, to mention that, that in fact, there are some private payers that will allow um, an, uh, an NPI or a physician or a, even a, even a mid-level to supervise uh, be, by being available by phone instead of Medicare's requirement to be in the office. So, you know, there, there are some private payers that will allow you to have a nurse-staffed clinic um, and do catheter changes and, and shots even with, if the physician's in surgery, as long as the physician's available by phone so that there's coverage if it's needed. So, but you do need to watch those contracts. So that was a good point, Ray. And in Medicare, you can't do that. No, correct? Medicare, you've got the, uh, the rules in Medicare is the, the NPI has to be in the, in the, in the office 
really is the way to in the office suite when the service is provided. All right. Well, I, one one quick question is, you know, obviously we've talked about office office flow and you, the way you do things routinely. You know, if you find a payer that has the ability to uh, be available by phone uh, and still pays for that uh, service, I, I imagine it's pretty hard to figure out, I mean, pretty hard to have that particular patient and provide that service that kind of goes around your, or that, that that's different than your office flow of having a physician or the APP in the office. I mean, it would be kind of hard to set it up so that this group is, you know, this patient comes in and then I can go and leave and do my other things or something like that or schedule on the same day. So, so this is that. So Scott, you bring up one thing that actually your schedule as a tool it, and with the electronic ability of most scheduling systems um, does allow you to do that, but it's hard to do it in a, in a broken up day, if you will. But if you set up your schedule with open slots for specific payers on a date um, so that you can stack your, your patients around and clear off your office. And, and I do think that a lot of offices are d using, using their schedules very, very well. Um, but I don't know that I've run into the office that really uses that scheduling tool to its full ability. Um, cause it, it really can, uh, make things work, but, and then of course you've, you, you do have to account for the fact that life in a physician office is anything but routine. I mean, if we, if everyone really stuck to the schedule a hundred percent, um, then great. But you know, there's always some emergency here or there. So you've got to get the contingencies that are there, but generally the scheduling tool is a big one and you should use it. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Anything else to add, Ray? Uh, no, I think Mark's covered it all. Mark, anything, anything more final words, final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I mean, other than I, I know it's a complex issue, um, to, on the compliance side. Um, and, uh, a lot of folks have, have really struggled with it. Uh, but, um, it's, it's one of those areas that the highly efficient practice, maximize your folks, practice at the top of your license, take a little bit of time and make sure everybody's trained. I mean, it's, it, it really boils down to everybody top to bottom has to be trained. Very good. All right. Well, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we do have our coding challenge that we're starting for QHPs uh, March 1st, 2021. And then uh, on April 1st, 2021, it's uh, we're doing a coding challenge for all non-QHPs. So uh, check the episode site. That's prsnetwork.com forward slash zero four zero. And uh, you can find out more information on, on the challenges. We look forward to seeing you inside and uh, got a lot of good things planned. And that is it for this episode. Last word to you, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there's time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. 
Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music under his record label, The Juicery, with extra pulp and special guests.